This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. I hear you have news. I have news. Even though I vowed and declared I wasn't going to stand for any officers um, uh, in any councils, um, I'm going to stand for the Bay Plenty Regional Council in the General Ward, and it is not my fault. It is your fault because you have to put the piece of paper in. Yeah, but no. Um, I went to Rotary yeah, the no. other day, and people who would who in the past wouldn't even talk to me came up to me and said, "Please stand." So if I if I want if if they're going to vote for me, then I've got a chance. So something is shifting in the world, and I have to jump on the shift wagon. There you go. Jump on the shift wagon. That's a good slogan for you. <laughs> yep. I like it. But the problem with having a slogan is I'm not having any billboards or producing any other paper documents. So um, we'll just be confined to here today. I'm sure we could use it somehow. And who are we introducing today? It is my absolute great pleasure to introduce Tracy Scott. Tracy is a conflict consultant and unlike you, um, our listeners can't see, but she has got the best hairdo. I absolutely love Oh, You'll see on the, on the photo. Um, and an awesome smile and a, a, a laugh that sounds like little crystal tinkerbells. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's an introduction that's going to be hard to live up to. <laughs> well, it was, it, it's just been quite delightful already this morning. It's so nice to have you here, Tracy. Thank you for joining us. Oh, kia ora. It's nice to be here. Kia ora, Tracy. Where are you, Tracy? Ototahi. Uh, nice and cold. It would I'm, be sitting good. Here with, I'm sitting here with all my thermals on. It will be good when it's summer again. So we've been asking people how their bubble life was and how their traffic life was, traffic light life was. Hmm. How was that for you? Um. Uh, yeah, I think it's been, a, it, it, like most people, it has been an interesting experience. I tried to embrace, as I do everything in the world, in the work and in my life, I try to embrace everything as a learning experience or an opportunity for positivity. So I decided that bubbles were about uh, healing and being... Um, focusing on my internal and focusing on in, in, in the simplicity um, of life. So I and and certainly when I came out of all my bubbles, I wanted to try and continue that philosophy, which of course hasn't always been easy. But yes, bubble life for me is is to try and make uh, make happy as best I can. Yeah. So your work as normally involves quite a lot of getting out and meeting people. Were you? 
getting out and meeting people mm. without getting out? Um, it certainly opened up the doors, I think, as most people around how can, how creative can you be? Absolutely. So, of course, the internet and the world of, of Zoom has become a fabulous companion. Um, and I think like many of us uh, working when we could um, navigate it, we did that. Absolutely. Um, as much as possible. I still like doing the work that I do face-to-face. I still prefer to be in front of people because people's energy and body language is really important. But it's an environment um, where working within the change is a part of how we need to work now. And there are benefits to that as well for everybody. Accessibility looks different when you don't have to kind of move places. It's almost like people can become more accessible because they can sit in their comfort of their own home. So. It's an advantage. I've met you lots of times, mostly at Mum's yeah. house, but other yes. people haven't had that pleasure. What do you do? Um, which, which is the, how long have we got? <laughs> do you want the abridged version or, or the essay? <laughs> just, just have some of your hats, shall we? Yeah. So, um, basically, I start with the the top hat, which is that I'm a, a certified and trained mediator, and I've been doing that for over twenty years, mediating in a number of different areas. That journey started in the United States and um, working with, you know, family courts and neighbourhoods and communities and businesses and a number of different environments. Uh, And I still do that here. I do a lot of family court work, uh, but also work within employment, mediation, um, doing quite a lot of um, Māori runanga claims and various different uh, conflicts that occur there, along with other neighbourhood and community issues. Um, from that, I also then do a lot of training. Um, so training in communication, conflict resolution, effective conflict resolution, and do that with businesses and community organisations, again, government departments, wherever there might be a need. Uh, I'm doing a lot more work in the area of uh, conflict coaching and conflict support, professional supervision, um, but employment advocacy now, assisting people on sort of difficult employment dynamics within workplaces, um, working a lot in uh, going into employment environments and helping evaluate a conflict dynamic within a workplace and teams and then offering a number of different strategies and solutions to help them sort of come bring their way through. Um, and then I also do a huge amount of work with the Peace Foundation with young people, which is probably where my real where a real passion that's, that's my real kind of that feeds my um feeds my water my soul a lot to be fair working with young people um the peace foundation which is of course how i met um your mum sam is through that work through that mahi and teaching peer mediation in schools um and off of that developed a peer support resiliency program called voice to voice um and i'm currently looking to set up some um other initiatives in that area and yeah, and recently just had the honour of uh, coordinating a peace symposium under the Peace Foundation's banner in Ōtutahi for all of uh, Te Waipaunamu for peace ambassadors and focusing on young Māori um, rangatahi to come together and uh, find a connection to um, historical peace practices for Māori and to take them back into their hurtas, which was a very, very big honour to have been able to do that and a hugely successful event that we hope can continue. So that was the semi-long version. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm sure I missed a few things out there. But <laughs> 
and uh, yeah. Do you? And I do sleep. <laughs> I, was, I was going to say, do, do you sleep? And do you? It, it must be something where you wake up each day and not really know where each day is heading. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, and the funny thing is, is as big as that sounds, and I won't even tell you about some other jobs that I do in um, the world of dance, but uh, that's another whole area. But actually, I really only work three to four days a week as well because I like to keep my work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, and somehow it all Leave room for netball coaching and whatever else it is you do. Yeah, netball and dancing, yeah, that's another hot thing. <laughs> Yeah. Let's take the first of your music choices. I'm going to have Henare Carr party in my head. Why this one? Um, this one, that's just because of the recent um, uh, symposium that we had at the Hermarai here in Otatahi. Henare was one of the presenters, and uh, he presented and a and talked about his journey as a, as a um, with ADHD and his Maori um, journey in, in connection to all of that. And this is his song, which um, I'm sure he'd be more than happy for me to be plugging. Party's on my mind, happening all the time. You can't see me. Symposium. Um, 
gosh. I mean, it, it was an amazing event. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually an initiative um, that originated from the Peace Foundation out of uh, Tamaki Makoto, where uh, some funding was received about a year ago. And a, a lovely woman called um, Irina Williams was hired to to coordinate two events, one in Tamaki Makoto and one in Wutahi. Um, unfortunately, she was unable to finish the mahi that she'd started, and so I picked up about five weeks ago, I picked up the baton for coordinating the event in Ōtutahi. Um, so it was a very short turnaround time, and uh, of course, there was a, it was very important to work closely and appropriately with mana whenua, which I was able to do. And the success was amazing. The focus was around creating an opportunity for um, rangatahi from a number of different kura to come together and uh, to get inspired and to feel connected to the idea of peace and then to go back into the kura and, and take um, the peace with them and have ideas for their own journey of peacefulness and really connecting it to their Māori heritage and culture. So the success was um a little bit overwhelming to be fair we had 81 rangatahi from 16 different schools the furthest away was from winton uh, 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 central southland school came up flew in for the day we had a few others that couldn't make it um uh, at the Porfiti welcome uh one of the uh, kaumatoa that talked said that this was the largest amount of rangatahi they'd seen on the marae ehua marae which was very you know heartwarming and gorgeous the first half of the day, we talked about historical aspects of peace, and we had um, a few presenters. Uh, so our first presenter uh, performer was Mahina Kingikawi, who did the creation story and used traditional Māori instruments, which was beautiful. Um, and I'm, I want to make sure I get her name right because I don't want to be disrespectful, so I'm just writing it down. So Dr. Kelly, uh, my heart. Yeah, hi, yes, okay, yes. Thank you, thank you. From Dunedin, she came up and talked about some historical peace practices with Māori. Uh, we had uh, Mairiki Williams, who had been part of the Porfiti presentation, wanted to stick around, so he did some kōrirua. And then Detroit Sterling, who happens to be um, mana whenua whōrihu as well. He's a teacher at one of the... Um, uh, Villages, not. Um, I was. Uh, he's. I'm not allowed to say it was. It's a kura. It's a village uh, that he is a teacher at, and he did a presentation of peace within his family and some historical stuff, which was huge. We also had then John Minto talking about the Springbok tour and um, that impact of that for um, for New Zealand and um, racism and Maori and all of that. And then the idea was that the rangatahi would go away and get into little groups and have a discussion around what they were inspired by from that historical information. Obviously, we had a fantastic hangi <laughs> for, for, for um, our lunch. And then the afternoon was more individual journeys and stories of um, people like Henare talking about his journey as a, as, a, as a Maori musician and his ADHD. We had a dance company called Jolt, who are a mixed ability dance company. And the two, two of their performers, one with Down syndrome and another um, uh, a, a dancer, they came and talked about their um, journey and his dancers and, and within their Māori um, story, along with, who else did we have? Oh, Tiana Placid, who is a sports and an athlete, and she is um, also talked, and she was our MC. Um, and so it was that sort of aspect of inspiration. 
the Peace Foundation, how do we say there? I had a week called it all about, you know, uh, the Peace Foundation and peer mediation and how to be able to take that all into the school. So, yeah, big day. Awesome. Well, yeah. What well, a lot for them to take away. It was, yeah. You mentioned uh, Dr. Kelly Tamaiharoa just before. Uh, Kelly's actually one of our colleagues uh, at Otago Polytech, yeah. amazing lady, and uh, just recently has uh, published um, a new book, which is exciting for her. Of all the things that you learned from this, from the experience, what was your biggest, most significant takeaway? For me personally? Yeah. Um, Oh gosh, I think if I was to, from an organisational perspective, because the, 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 the my mahi was to to coordinate and organise. So for me, the takeaway was making sure that there was this was done in respect of um, mana whenua. Basically, was a really important part of it, and to recognise that at a certain point it wasn't mine anymore. And when I say that, the whole thing wasn't mine. And so the night before, when we had a whakapanangatanga and we came together, the performers and the presenters came together, that's when I sat back and went, oh, okay, I'm not in this anymore. I've, I've put together an amazing uh, collection of people. Um, a woman here in Otatahi called Gabrielle Stewart was a huge part of helping me connect with people. And it was just letting letting the magic happen. And it was interesting because um, uh, the Peace Foundation, um, my boss basically in Auckland said, oh, I'm glad everything went as planned. I said, no, nothing went as planned, <laughs> but everything was perfect. <laughs> but everything was perfect. Um, and I think that was my takeaway was that if you create the right environment with the right people, then the magic is what happens, is what's meant to happen. And, you know, that's where micromanagement and it, it has to, you have to step back, you know, you have to step right away. So that was a huge takeaway. I think the other takeaway when it comes from some of the feedback that's coming through from the schools, um, a lot of the teachers were saying on the day, and we're still getting the feedback, and a lot of the teachers were saying two really significant things, I thought. One was it was really great to hear about um, – um, Māori history our way and then the other was it was really good to hear local history because it was very localised and that sort of struck a chord for me as far as the importance of something happening in the South Island into Waipunamu for Māori. We get a lot of stuff and a lot of noise happening up in North Island but this kind of you know we sometimes get a little bit overlooked and hearing the teachers and the students going wow it was so good and to hear and, and it was so there was one quite one evaluation which I'm trying to get I want to try and get it right and it, I'm pretty sure it was a young man asked you know what was what was inspira inspirational about the day and what did he like about it and he said something about it. it was really good to know that there were other people struggling to find their Māori that's so sweet. <laughs> it was it was a lovely little way, you know, and that and and a couple of the some of the feedback has been it was good to feel a part of something where we didn't feel different. So it was very much about that focus for young Maori and and for you. So it was focused on ages fourteen to eighteen. So it was really that secondary school age group, and it was just a huge diversity of schools. Um, 16 different schools so you can imagine the different um, demographic that we were dealing with but that was the common thread and that was a beautiful takeaway was just that you know so that was lovely. Do you think that 
as a nation, we're starting to finally move towards embracing all things Māori. Is it really happening or am I imagining it? I think that's a great question. I would like to think that we are, but I still think that listen, looking at the number of the young people there that day who were still missing connections and missing, and I'm even thinking about within my own family and my nephews who is still a disconnect and stuff, I think we're definitely along a lot further on than when I was at age at school. I think that, that we've taken a huge journey, but I, I think we've got a long way to go still. And that we do have a long way to go. The difference is that it's accessible. The idea is accessible. Access to language is accessible. The fact that we we you know we're able to be um, acknowledged and honoured in that way, I think, has come a long way. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring John Minto in is is I wanted that the young people there to realise that 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 was my high school, and it's a very different world than the one that they're in. So it wasn't that long ago, and I know that Tiana said to the them in the room she said go away and talk to your parents and grandparents about this because they'll remember like it wasn't that long ago so I think we also forget that there's been quite a lot of movement and a lot of change um but if you look at it from a historical perspective and 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 you know pre-colonization and all of that then no it's a long time coming (laughs) so I think there's that other context um around it so I'm I'm proud to have been able to be a part of that um, the other thing that was interesting is that we actually had all three official languages happening in the on the marae at the same time because the other thing that I um, was approached to do was to incorporate and work closely with Kotakareo, which was a deaf unit in Wotatahi. And um, to do that, we had to do some preparation work and we had interpreters and had to send a lot of material through so that the interpreters could prepare. I got some of the film stuff closed captioned. Um, and... That was another really beautiful moment because one of the women involved in that who, who invited me, a name called uh, Kathy Rifle, and she's up um, up in the North Island, she was like, she said, it doesn't happen in mainstream environments that that, these, that level of inclusivity. Um, and I remember when she approached me and said, would you be open to, you know, creating an environment that allows for that? And I went, gosh, yes, absolutely. I'd love the challenge. And then I almost felt a little bad that I hadn't even thought about it. Um, so I really appreciated being sort of knocked knocked on the head with that to go, hey, you know, consider. So I think it's I think you know my long-winded way of responding to your question <laughs> is um, I think that the awareness and the bubble of awareness is definitely a lot greater than it was when I was young. Um, but I still think that there is some um, challenges. And it being really totally embraced and inclusive. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui ki I hope you're all having this day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now I know that for us all the last more than two and a half years have been very challenging we've had to deal with so many new ways of doing being seen feeling 
and this very process of learning constantly and adapting constantly is very tiring and so it's so important that we allow ourselves time to rest and recharge we give ourselves and each other support compassion care love affection all these things that we give each other space and time that we give ourselves space and time to process all the changes that have taken place it's also a time which is highly invigorating when we are having to adapt when we are having to harness those creative powers within which are innate for us all it can come with a great sense of exhilaration and excitement can be incredibly energizing to have to find new ways to do things as a species of course co-evolving with all life in an infinite web we have had to do a lot of problem solving in our time and we excel at it and for me having to deal now with a very interesting situation with long covid it's all about how i can use my energy in the best way when i can how i can and really enjoying it and making the most of it it's yet another jigsaw puzzle it's yet another permutation of problem solving for me so here i am driving to mighty 10 mega to find my dear friend Upoport David Allison a new battery charger for his rotary hoe which I borrowed and then very naughtily lost the battery and battery charger I don't know where it's gone so this is a, a bit of a treasure hunt for me today and I'll also be doing a lot of writing today for a collaboration project between the museum ourselves Otakano Eco Sanctuary and the Albatross and the Marae out at Okutaraki. So that would be a very interesting again opportunity to do some problem solving and finding the connections and the links between things in a satisfying way while my brain is still capable of such things. And then tomorrow it's going to be my birthday so I'm very pleased about that. I'll have a lovely time seeing my friends in Fano. So I really hope for you, whatever's happening around you and wherever you are, that you're able to reframe the challenges that come your way to provide you with really satisfying opportunities for adventure, for exploration, and finding within yourself that wellspring of strength that is ever, ever present ever self-refreshing and perpetuating we're very lucky of course as a species that we experience such a range of emotions and we experience such a range of states of being and for all of us these different states these times of transition offer such opportunities for deepening our connection with ourselves deepening our connection with who we are and what we want to do what we can do and with each time that we rise to the various challenges that come our way, of course, we are able to add an extra brick to that great, beautiful cathedral of our strength and that great, beautiful temple of our own sacred power and energy. So I really hope for you, you're enjoying this process as much as possible. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Tracy Scott.
Tracy, before uh, you were talking about how um, things didn't always go how you planned and you had to adapt for the change, and the co-papa of the day was peace studies and peacefulness, how do how do we bring that peacefulness into the lives of people so they're better able to adapt to change? Because change is definitely the co-papa going forward in all aspects of our lives. Mm. Oh gosh, that's a big question. I think there's so much to that. There's so many layers to it. I mean, I think you, you start internally, you start with yourself because, um, and that's where the idea of resiliency and developing resiliency within ourselves with our young people. And, and resiliency is effectively the, the capacity to cope. Um, and that comes on a number of different levels. Obviously, there's spiritual well-being, emotional well-being, but it's also really based in a sense of self-esteem, self-worth, and a value of yourself. So if you can start it with yourself and, and get a sense of value and, 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 and belief in yourself and confidence, then that's probably really the most important foundation. The challenge is, is that our society is often asking of us uh, pushing us to look in a different way, looking externally to create um, dynamics of, of management and, and, and an external focus. And that's when we can get lost because we're then responding to other people's critiques or other people's values or other people's ideas or systems or, or um, hierarchies. And we're responding to all of that, which is chaotic which is constantly fraught with change, and we know that. Um, Otatahi knows that all too well, um, you know, with earthquakes and shootings and, and COVIDs. You know, our children, our young people and our communities are constantly in, on shaky grounds. So if we are to invest in trying to manage our externals for a sense of peace, then we're going to have conflict because that is something that is an unmanageable concept. But if we can learn to internalise and find our own way of, of um, sitting and being in our own presence and being comfortable with who we are and where we are, then that allows us to absorb all the externals. It's an easy pathway. Do you think that that's something that can be integrated into, the, uh, into education delivery in the mainstream schools? I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and yes, it can, and I think it should be. I know that some of the work that I'm doing now when I'm going into schools, because part of my role with the Peace Foundation is that I go around um, to Waiponamo and, and, and have covered that area, and there are more and more schools that are literally integrating practices of um, uh, uh, yoga and mindfulness and meditation and uh, actually putting that into their school um, um, environments. The voice-to-voice -voice program that we do um, is focusing on building resiliency toolkits and a peer support environment. There's a huge awareness within schools of um, social and emotional well-being now, and I think more and more schools are embracing it. Um, I think it gets a little lost when it hits high school. I think that our primary schools are doing a better job, and that is very well to do with the relationships that the teachers can have with the young people, whereas secondary schools are a different beast. Um, but I'd like to think that we are continuing on that practice model. I'm on the board of trustees at Burnside High School, and I know that we are working um, deliberately and trying to create sorts of those sorts of well-being environments, not just for our students, but for our staff. Yeah, we have to. 
we live in a chaotic environment. If we don't find ways to sort of feel strongly grounded in who we are, it, it's, it's, it creates the kind of conflict that we don't like to see. I was talking to one of my teens the other day about one of her subjects she's doing at school, and I said to her, what's your teacher's name? And she said, I don't know. And it absolutely shocked me. And I wondered, how does that teacher be impactful and create a positive learning environment when the learner doesn't even know their name? Uh, it's, yeah. I know that one of the things that's coming through, and I know when we just recently did our strategic plan thing, is this kind of the sense of belonging. And that was a big part of, I believe, what was successful with the um, symposium in Ōtutahi was the sense of belonging. It was a connection. Young people, and actually all of us, want to have a sense of, and when we feel that we can connect and belong, it does give us a peace or peacefulness or comfort. The different difficulty, of course, that we've had with our journey um, around COVID and, you know, lockdowns has been just that, our disconnect. It's been a sense of disconnect rather than connect. But I'm always a big believer that, um, and I know, Sam, you've heard me talk around, you know, conflict is an opportunity, opportunity for learning and growing and change. So even that conflict of being isolated, there are ways that I think people really worked hard to explore other ways to connect. Um, and I love that about sort of, you know, mankind's spirit, to be fair, with, with that. The, you know, if you really dig into that spirit of, of wanting to rise above, um, everything and anything is possible. And while it might not happen as much or as often as we like, I, I, it's there. It's there. And I, and I think we just need to keep applauding and looking and encouraging for that, yeah. Has the time of the pandemic, the last two, two and a half years, has that prompted us to think differently about any aspects of peace and conflict? I'd like to think it has. In some respects, though, it also has also brought a lot of stuff to the surface because you know, you've got a, you know, where, where, where has conflict look? I mean, what I'm talking about, you know, we've got our bubbles and we were isolated and we we're in our little homes and we were creating whatever haven we could if we were fortunate enough to have an environment could be a haven. But then we also had this impact of conflict, which was what government and policies and processes and protocols did, and that's that external stuff, which was, for many people, felt very much um, out of, everybody's hands and control. And regardless of whether you support it or didn't support it, it raised up another whole level of external factors that impacted how to keep your internal balance <laughs> and pace. Um, so I, I guess in some ways we've, we were given more and more is then, in my view, is more of an opportunity to, to find new ways. But it's a very individual story as to whether you really look to embrace that and I and we're still in it you know because the impacts you know impacts on businesses the impacts on families you know I see that in the family mediation work and it, it's it's a it's we're still we've got a lot of work around it and all I can do is my little piece of the puzzle my little piece of the bubble as it were as I just try to do the best that I can do and hope that it, it matters at least in this environment um that's all we can do how long do you think that long tail of those sorts of effects is going to last, or is it a new business as usual that that we're, it's going to it was we're that's the new life? Yeah, I, that I mean, I think it's that. I know that the interesting thing, especially in Australia, around 
um, the school system is that when you look at a lot of our young people, I was meeting with a group of year 13s at Burnside yesterday because we're trying to get the peer mediation happening there. Um, and they're, they're going to be our little action, our doers. Um, um, and, 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 you know, when you look at their 17 years, you know, how much of that has been around some huge upheavals, earthquakes, um, you know, the, the mosque shootings and now COVID. And what does that mean for our young people? It's very different. I don't know if we can even put a lens on it ourselves as adults because our lens is a little different. We're sort of trying to manage and keep their world safe, and yet this, their world is very normal, a normal one of chaos pretty much, if you think about it. Uh, that being said, I also think that their toolkits for resiliency are doing pretty damn well, um, if I was to say, you know. Interestingly enough, I was in Queenstown a few weeks ago um, and working with a new school year, and there was a huge, it was a huge building going on, and apparently there's a huge amount of people are moving from Auckland down to Queenstown. And one of the observations that the teacher made thought was really interesting is that they're like year four and fives that were coming into this the school, they're like, they would have expected them to have some sense of understanding around the school culture and the school environment, but they weren't. And they realised, of course, coming from Auckland in those past four to five years for those, you know, those young students, a lot of it was in lockdown and chaos and various things. So what the teachers would be assuming was a sort of normal expectation of a year four and five, they had to look at that lens differently because these students were coming in who had had a very different journey. And that's an do, impact. Do you think that the kids that have gone through this, because particularly for those people in Christchurch, it has been trauma after trauma. Do you think they're going to come through with stronger resiliency skills because of that? I'd like to, I'd like to think so. That's me wanting to look at this as an opportunity. Um, that's the way I like to language it when I'm working with young people. That's the way I like to, to to see how it is. I know that there is, you know, there's another whole layer of issues around what trauma and PTSD, and I know that especially in the aftermath of the earthquakes, there was a, a lot of research was done around that impact. Um, but I guess I guess I look at the young people, look at my, my, my daughter who's 20, and I think about, you know, that journey, and... Yeah, I do believe that they've got really good um, toolkits and resiliency capacities and skills because resiliency is really ultimately the ability to cope with change. And I've had to do a lot of that. Even just the practical notion of not being able to rely on landmarks yeah. must give yeah. them a different sense of, of play, of being and of place. Yeah, yeah. And I think, it, I think the only thing that I would probably about is what that concept of security, comfort, safety and balance looks like. And I can sit here and say that from my position where I had a home that, you know, ultimately, even though I was in one of the worst parts of the city, my home was upright. You know, my daughter was able to be embraced. You know, we didn't have our environment fractured. I was able to continue to work to some extent. So I, I'm relatively fortunate. That's not true for everybody. Some people's lives got completely um, turned upside down and have continued and even through to all of the you know our current situation so I can only speak from how it looked to me and in my world and I do recognize that mine was a fairly um, I wouldn't say sheltered but it was a fairly um, privileged one compared to what others may have had to experience which is I guess one of the reasons that I have a passion and keep working and want to keep working in schools and with young young people because in amongst there there might be those that didn't have that privilege that I'm hoping I can 
be of some support to or give some um, help to. So I guess that's the other part of my um, mahi for me and the kaupapa that I like to work with is if I can share um, and, 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 and show care through my sharing, then that's what I'm going to do until it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> You know, I mean, you laughed about my hair before, and and for those that obviously can't see it, it's it's there's a lot of white, and that was definitely a lockdown moment. You know, you come out of lockdown, couldn't go to the hairdressers, I went, all right, it's fine to let it go now. Time to embrace it, but only halfway. I can't let some of it go. I'm gonna do half of it. Um, and I often think at my age, you know, working with young people, I'm like, oh gosh, they're gonna keep looking at me and going, you're getting a bit old. Um, but it, while I can still make an impact I'm going to keep doing it and the moment they look at me and go oh you're too old you don't get us um then I'll step back (laughs) but at the moment I can still do it let's squeeze in the second of your music choices let's have en vogue free your mind why this one uh two reasons one I do love the lyrics um and it because it is about um uh basically yeah you listen to the lyrics and it's about the lyrics and the other is is that my my youth en vogue was one of my favorite um Groups and they were also, I believe, one of the most um, unre- uh, undervalued and unrecognized groups of that era. I think they would deserve way more recognition than they did. So I love to plug them. Prejudice. Wrote a song about it. Like to hear it? Here it go. Free your mind.
Tracy, the theme of our show, we didn't design it this way, it just emerged, was positive but not deluded. And <laughs> then in the last few months, we've been convinced that we should add a dash of deluded. Sure. There's nothing about, there's nothing wrong with having some healthy crazy. <laughs> What's the role of a positive mindset for you? What's the role of a positive mindset? Hmm. Um, well, uh, yeah, um, gosh, uh, you know, lo- we get to choose. There's this lovely um, uh, phrase that somebody said once to me and I, I use when I do my one-on-one work is, you know, it's not your fault the life that you got handed when you were a kid. And so if you've come through difficult times, it's not your fault that that happened, but it's your responsibility as you get older and grow to make your life the way that you want it. And I I really embrace that idea that I want to choose to live my life in a a way that means something to me. So I want to be able to have fun and laugh and enjoy life and have a purpose. And that's my mahi, that's my kaupapa. So if that's the case, then I have to choose to think that way. I have to choose to embrace that idea. The blame game is not a good place to be. And if we invest in the blame game, it's really hard to blame Mother Nature for picking off on stuff. And it's just a waste of energy. And to me, it's really just about going, look, I I choose to enjoy and and I choose to experience. That doesn't mean to say every day is a good day um, or that, you know, happy happens every day. Uh, Certainly there are days when I go, whoops, that wasn't a moment that I want to um, be proud of. Um, But it's about taking care of your mindset by um, being responsible for the choices that you chose and embracing that. Good, bad, ugly, whatever they look like. Deluded, yep, all of them. Choose them. Embrace them. (laughs) So some questions to end the show. What is the biggest Mm. success you've had in the last couple of years? couple of years oh, going crazy um <laughs> uh, biggest success gosh I, I guess I guess oh gosh I mean I feel pretty happy with so much of what I've done um my overall success always is my daughter to be honest I mean raising a 20 year old as a single parent has been my a greatest accomplishment and now that she's out of high school I'm absolutely honored and proud to have been part of her journey I think probably the recent um, hui, the, the the symposium at the Hermitai for our yeah, that that's been that sits really high for me. I know it's just recent, but it's a bit of a, a highlight to be fair. I mean, just the opportunity to take that on board, the way it worked, the the um, feedback, the fact that so many young people came together in a really short period of time speaks to what's wanted and needed here. Um, yeah, I was really honoured to be a part of that. And the people were amazing. So that would be my biggest accomplishment. So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are oh, in that team. You're in the mansion. What's your superpower? I, I'd like to think it's my um, relatability, actually. It's like I can read a room. <laughs> you know, I can read a room. That can be a bit of a superpower when you're a trainer and when you're dealing with conflict. It's quite good to be able to read a room. Um, so I guess that I'd like to think it's my relatability. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Because I think they can take on a number of different levels, you know, public, private, local. If you're talking about being an activist as somebody that likes to be able to create action or live in action um, and, and, and be an active participant for healthy change, yeah. That's a nice definition. 
So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, my child comes and wakes me up. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, I've been working and exploring, and that was one of the things that I went very deeply into And when we went into lockdown was what spirituality and my spiritual side looked like, and that then feeds into the idea of what's my purpose. Um, Because I think having a purpose is what motivates me. And that purpose might change on a day-by-day basis, to be fair. Um, But if my purpose is to help um, people move into better places in their lives and whether I'm doing that as a mediator or whether I'm doing that as an advocate or whether I'm doing that as a trainer, if anything that I can do can help people move into a new place um, or a better place or feel good about themselves, that's my ultimate one, feel good about themselves, then I'm going to do what I can to do that. But I also have to do that for me. Otherwise, I'm just a hypocrite. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't sit with me. <laughs> so yeah. So, what is the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Oh gosh, I'd love to do early retirement. Um, I'd like I'd, that, that would be Mike. I'd love to be early retirement, build myself a little um, house, bus, and travel around, being a happy. Um, that you know really would be I'd just that. But at the moment, it's setting up another um, non-profit. <laughs> 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 um, to be fair, it's trying to setting up a non-profit, try and create an umbrella. I'm wanting to set an umbrella organisation for small individual post programs and act- projects and activities focused on youth, for youth, uh, who can't, like individuals who can't necessarily apply for funding. I want to set up an umbrella organisation that has a really clear co-papa and that people can apply and that they do the applying. So lots of really good, strong, fabulous people who are doing lots of wonderful work with with young people don't have to set up as a big enterprise to be able to access for funding. So that's kind of um, the initiative that I'm working on at the moment. That's cool. Yeah. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Choose. Just think about what choosing means. Choose to be happy. Choose to learn. Choose to grow. Choose to accept. Choose to change. Just choose. Choose to receive. Choose. Don't blame. Choose. Thank you for that. Mawera. Lucy, there has to be champions in the world to make things happen, and you are most certainly one of them. Thank you for the commitment that you've made to change, to peace, um, and to just bringing goodness into the world. Um, We really appreciate you, and we appreciate your time today. And even though you want to retire, please don't, because we need you. (laughs) I mean, that feels that that I'm going to receive that, um, even though that feels rather uncomfortable, but I will receive you. (laughs) Thank you.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Salt and Pepper. Push it. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatane, and we've been joined from Otutahi Christchurch by Tracy Scott. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Marty This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.